Hello, naughty monkeys. You know what? Not only are the folks at AdamBendeve.com sweethearts for sponsoring this episode and therefore helping me get to conferences and such to procure more information and knowledge for your brain spaces, but they're also offering a kick-ass deal to listeners. So it's a four-part sweet deal, but super important. If you go to AdamAndEve.com, shop around, you got to remember to type in sex nerd at checkout to get 50% off almost any item. Free shipping, three free adult DVDs, and an extra super secret special gift. Who knows what it is? And FYI, because I know folks think about this, in terms of packaging and credit card statements, adamandeve.com sends your goodies in plain unmarked packaging. I know that people worry about this, so I just want to make sure. Uh, only their address is on the return label. And on your credit card statement, it will say Adam Mail, Mail M-A-I-L, which is pretty unassuming too. So if you're a shy monkey, no one will know you're doing the grown-up. So, go to adamandeve.com, type in sex nerd at checkout, and get four awesome bonuses. 50% off almost any item, free shipping, three free DVDs, and a super secret gift. That's just awesome. Hey, just a little date announcement. Guess what? I have never taught in San Francisco before, and this summer, my first time, I'll be teaching at the Good Vibration Store on Polk Street, July 23rd, it's a Monday, at 6.30 p.m., I'm going to be talking about my favorite subject to teach in workshops, which is booty basics. Uh, it's my favorite because it's such an interesting topic and there's so many feelings around it and I just get very geeky with the anatomy and cool tricks to get in there. So come on down. Um, it's going to be a ton of fun and it's uh, $20 in advance, 25 bucks at the door. There's going to be a link on my site and I'm going to embed a link uh, on the Nerdist post. So, hey, come on down. It'll be fun to meet you. And we'll laugh and learn together. Yay! Okay, enough of me talking about this. Let's talk about this other stuff. Enjoy the episode. Now entering Nerdist.com Welcome to the Sex Nerd Sandra Podcast. Whoa, what are these kids doing in here? Hey, if you're under 18, go ask your mom. Now that we're alone, let's start the show. Hello, sex-positive warriors. A few things to intro into your ears before we begin the sex geekery. Okay, first, dates. If you are in the San Francisco area on Monday, July 23rd, guess what? I'm going to be at Good Vibes Teaching. That's right, at 1620 Polk Street at, uh, I think, 6.30 p.m. I'm going to be doing my signature class on booty basics. So come out and support. It's $20 at the Good Vibes website and $25 at the door. I can't wait to see you there. I hope I see you there. It's going to be great. There's going to be hugs after consensually only. Uh, July 27th, back in Los Angeles. It's going to be the Sex Nerd Sonder Podcast live show anniversary style. That's right. Here at Nerd Melt at 7.15. Uh, it's going to be like Aesop's Fables, but for sex stories. Uh, lots of tips, etc., etc. I'm really looking forward to it. We might have a super extra special guest. You may have heard of this person, but we're not announcing it yet. But also my best friend's going to be there. And uh, who's to say if she's going to... She knows all my dirty secrets. So And she's absolutely hilarious. This is going to be a show of shows. This is going to be very memorable. I can't wait. <laughs> I hope you should come out, uh, LA listeners. Also, 
I'm going to be in Japan in the middle of July. That's right. For two weeks, I'm going to be uh, going over to the islands there. And uh, if you're a listener located in the Tokyo area and want to show me around a little bit of the kinkier stuff on the island, uh, please do. Hit me up, sexnerdsandra at gmail.com. Um, I will also be with family. So, But I I really would like to see, you know, like the love hotels, maybe some, some of the stores. Um some of the play spaces if they exist i just come on i've heard some things about the japanese i've heard some things so getting into these recordings um dave was not able to come with me to these uh sex focused conferences so he's not present so we will miss him this week Sorry, Dave. Next week, definitely. And also, Dave and I will be discussing in the coming weeks uh, stuff that I learned at the, uh, the ASECT conference that I was just at in Austin. And we will uh, discuss the topics that I also recorded some co- short conversations with people regarding like IUDs and contraception. And this really amazing conversation with Ch- Chelsea Wakefield on sexual archetypes, which is basically just a precursor to role play. Uh, I got pretty excited. It's pretty exciting. Anyway, but for now... Uh, we're going to talk to two amazing people about doctors and anatomy and uh, so good. So the first one is with Megan Andyu, who you might remember from the Orgasms for Everyone episode. And we're going to be talking about uh, what your doctor does and does not know about sexuality um, from their medical training. And uh, a little hilarious aside about um, things that get stuck in your butt. <laughs> so, and then we're going to talk to uh, Tracy Share, who is a physical therapist, and she's the director of the Pelvic Health Rehabilitation Program at Florida Hospital in Orlando. And uh, when I was in Austin, I talked with her and just geeked out so hard about uh, pelvic anatomy. It just, it was intense. It was crazy. The things we're about to talk about. So... Thank you to Adam and Eve for helping fund me to go to these places and extract this information from their brains and then give them to you in audio style. Enjoy. Uh, so I'm here at uh, Momentum Con 2012, and I'm here with Megan and you. Yes. Did I say it right? You said it right. You got it right. I win. Cool. Because <laughs> I've, I've mentioned you on the show before, and I said it different, and then I, now I'm kicking myself. Oh, but so a, I didn't know that. And you. Yeah. Uh, you're welcome. <laughs> so I know that you are the sex educator who's super awesome about pleasure, but also you work to train medical professionals. Yes. Okay. A lot. So... I know, and you know, that doctors are not trained about sexuality, pleasure, sexual functioning as much as we wish they were. Right. So can you um, let me know, like, what are some misconceptions about what your doctor would know about sexuality that they really aren't trained in school? Okay, so here's their basic training within medical schools. Um, Most medical students receive eight hours of sex ed in the duration of their training. And, and how long are they in med school? For, for four years. and <laughs> So eight hours in four years and, on... But here's the key thing is, is what that sex ed consists of. So that consists of pregnancy, how to deliver a baby, how to create an erection, and um, being sensitive to the GLBT population. That's a shit ton there in eight hours, my friend. Yes. <laughs> oh, oh, also birth control, hormonal forms of birth control. Everything else is left unsaid. So in some schools, in most schools, they don't even dissect the clitoris. Um, 
during the first year. They dissect the penis, but they don't dissect the clitoris. Interesting. Do they dissect the the vagina? Uh, they do dissect the vagina, but they don't address uh, the clitoris. So in certain school systems, depending on where you go, um, they choose whether or not that they will dissect that or even bring that up in med school. So one of the schools that I'm working with, they're having me come in to talk about the anatomy of the clitoris for the med schools because it's not taught. And so I think one of the biggest things that med school students now are asking for is please teach us how to talk about sexuality and the schools aren't necessarily responding. And then when they get into residency, if they do try to incorporate talking about sexuality, a lot of their elders will smack that conversation down and say, you have 12 minutes to get this patient's history. This type of questioning is unnecessary. So even if they do get it, they get slapped for actually utilizing the skills that they're trying. So they have to go three steps forward to try to become a sex positive provider. Okay. And they're fighting against, and it's kind of an apprenticeship sort of situation where you're being trained by these older doctors and the the older way. I've also heard that some doctors believe that their patients are uncomfortable in the sex talk. So therefore they don't want to make their patients uncomfortable. So they don't bring it up. Absolutely. So one of the main concerns is we don't want to make our patients offended or uncomfortable, but yet we don't know how to talk about sex. So how can we start the conversation And then how can we recognize if they are starting to get uncomfortable and how to maneuver getting the information that we need um, versus making our patients never come back again. So, Right. And sexual functioning also can be important in terms of symptoms for other things like cardiovascular disease. So why not discuss it in these general conversations? Right. And so, you know, someone when I was in the bathroom today, someone from the conference was like, hey, My partner is taking medication, and I don't know if this is weird to be asking you in the bathroom, but they're taking medication for depression, and and I was like, so are they either are you going to say that they're not having orgasms, they can't have erections, or they have no desire, and they're like not able to reach orgasm? I'm like, okay, so here's what you're going to say: going to go to the doctor, you're going to say, I'm not able to reach orgasm with this medication. Medical provider is most likely going to come back with. Yes, that is a common side effect. Silence. <laughs> then thanks, Doc. <laughs> right. <laughs> and then you have to be an advocate for your own health and say, so what other medications can you put me on so that I can reach climax? Because the conversation will stop short there. Right. They won't acknowledge that like, oh, that's a thing that happens. The end. Deal with it. That's but- what they say. And they don't go any further with it. And I'm sure the companies who send them lots of stationery with the drug name printed on it isn't going to tell them like the alternatives to that medication. Correct. <sighs> so you really have to. The new generation of doctors that are coming out, a lot of them are desperate for this information. But I think that the real issue comes at who are the board of directors that create the medical schools? Because they're the ones that dictate what gets taught. And so it's not necessarily the professors. It's the people who run the school that say, this is appropriate. This isn't appropriate. And that determines the future of our doctors. 
So what should a person do or how should they process it if they bring up a sex problem? Like if they're brave enough to bring it up to their doctor, general practitioner, or even their gynecologist and they get silence or if like, well, like I was shamed once when I went to a doctor because I had um, a pain on the clit from just, you know, rough sex, maybe, you know, they were they had trimmed too short and I just had sandpaper on clip basically what happened right. and the doctor was very like she just her tone of voice everything changed and I felt shamed you know in that like, what do you do in those situations when you're feeling uncomfortable and you don't get a sense that your doctor is respecting your sexuality um I I wish I could say it would be effective to name it mm-hmm. but it is like saying I feel uncomfortable right now yeah Um, but I know way too many situations in which people have been dismissed from practices. Um, so doctors can fire you as a patient. Oh, they're just like, don't come back. Yeah. I've never even heard of that. Really? Yeah. Awkward. Yeah. Okay. So they send official letterhead saying you are no longer a patient of this practice. Here are some resources of where you can go. So doctors do have the right to fire you. Um, Usually I've seen this happen during cases of assault where patients have physically assaulted their doctors. Um, But more recently I've seen it in cases in which people were going for pelvic exams. The doctors physically hurt them and they called them out and asked for a meeting and the doctors stated, that's it. You obviously are the person who has the problem and I will no longer be your physician. Okay, this sounds so this sounds like intense, but it was physical. So just like awkward social moment, doctor phys- just physically hurt them. Okay, that's and when they said you're hurting me, okay, they said, well, you should be used to this because oh right, the because you have sex, so therefore you should the speculum should. Okay, that's a whole thing. <laughs> speculums. There's a weird interface in our relationship with our doctors right uh um wow i didn't even know i've never even heard of that i mean i was thinking more just when doctors sort of shut down and can't communicate and then you feel weird about yourself like oh so the one person you should trust and they're right and so i would i would say like it would be great if you could be like hey can we talk about this but one you're most likely not wearing clothes two your doctor is most likely sitting above you um could ask for a meeting, but I haven't found those meetings to go well. So what I would recommend is screening your doctor firsthand. Um, And then secondly, checking out um, the sexual medicine doctors. Like there's doctors who identify as being sex positive or specialize in sexual health. And not necessarily like Planned Parenthood, but general practitioners who really focus on sexual health and pleasure do you have a resource for just finding a local doctor because the link is on my website because it's state by state it's a map in which you press in your zip code um so it's the center for sexual pleasure and health which is the csph.org and then if you go to the locate a provider there's different provider lists awesome that's good to know. That's really good to know. And I'm going to put that link on when I when this comes out. Um, wait, oh, I had a really good question. Oh, I was so excited about this. Okay. Men and their penises. Yes. Okay. Sometimes there's functioning issues or questions. Or, or, you know, like, oh, it bent the wrong way and I'm worried about this. Or, like, I have a friend who is experiencing mild numbness 
internally on the left side of his penis. Mm. So and he doesn't have diabetes? No, nothing. Okay. Perfectly healthy. And I said, you know, you talk to your doctor about it. And he said, I did talk to my doctor about it, just their general practitioner. And they were like, that's not a big deal. And I'm like, you need to get a referral, I believe, to a urologist. But... But what doctor do you go to when you're having penis issues? So you t- typically you go to a urologist, but there are specialized clinics for sexual health care issues. And so I'm in, in Boston area, so there's the Boston's Men's Sexual Health Clinic, and they specifically deal with um, penises that are having difficulty getting erect, penises that have had trauma, and so they bend forward, and eventually they will curl into themselves, and so you can't use it. So if you ever break your penis, um, which isn't a bone, but you hear an actual crack, you need to go to the doctor, because otherwise it will eventually, through over months, bend into itself. Um, okay, so you're having wild monkey sex in whatever position you choose, mm-hmm. and you hear a crack. Mm-hmm. That is a sign that you've damaged the, the spongy erectile tissue Correct. and you should see someone. Yes. And you will experience immense pain and there will be bruising also. But most people think, oh, after the bruise goes away, it'll be fine. It'll take care of itself. But what actually happens is calcium will build up and it'll turn the penis from going out to going up to going in and then literally curling itself into like a fetal position. Okay, so this is highly freaking me out right now. And this is, I mean, but in a way where it's like, you know, I'm human and that's really intense. I'm sure listeners are like, oh my God, turn off. I'm at the gym. I can't deal with this. Are there any, actually, now that we're on the topic, I mean, as well as like, are there any other things people should be aware of in terms of like things that they should see their doctor about that people generally don't because they don't know what they should do? Yeah. Uh, Yeah, you know, um, if you get something stuck up your butt, don't wait. The average time that people wait, like if something accidentally goes into the bottom, one, don't lie about it because they know why it's there. Someone just sent me a a story about uh, some religious... Like a yes, viker yes. with a potato. Yes, he was potato. hanging curtains yes, yeah. naked. Yeah, and he f- potato fell. Yeah. Um, on average, people wait two to three days with something lodged in their rectum before they go to the emergency room. So, like, I really want to stop that from happening. And they're doing it, I believe, out of shame. Like, out of shame of going into um, the hospital and being like, I have this in my ass. Or lack of health care. But... Um, if it doesn't have a flange, don't stick it in your butt. And if you do stick it in your butt and it goes into your butt, just go get it out. Just go and get it out because waiting two to three days is highly uncomfortable with something large or in your body that's not supposed to be there. Right. In a few hours, it might be just a little bit in and you can get it out. Right, and when it travels further up, then you're talking about surgery, possibly. Right. And it's a whole other drama. And there's a fantastic book that came out a couple months ago called Stuck Up, um, <laughs> which is journal articles writ- and x-ray images of all the things that have been inserted into people's rectums. And it's written by two ED doctors and um, a psychiatrist. That is the most exciting thing ever. It's fantastic. The x-ray images supported by the journal articles. Fantastic. I mean, I'm, I'm a butt nerd, and you're a butt nerd, mm-hmm. it looks like, from the look of your face. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> this, is, this is what we thrive on. I bought three copies. <laughs> oh, you win in the butt nerd category. You win. Oh, oh man. 
if, if it weren't for porosity, I'd totally want to start just a collection of things stuck up people's butts, like like a strange museum, like in my kitchen. I hear that the from my physician friends, they tell me that they collect it, that the hospital has a box. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love the world. Yeah. Um, okay. So I don't even know where the, the conversation, I mean, I know we both need to get downstairs soon for the, the plenary at 3.30 yes. or 2.30. 2:30. Uh, the plenary with Esther Perel and uh, Dr. Joc- Jocelyn, Jocelyn Elders. Elders. And one more person, I can't, Lisa. Lisa Riskel. She's Lisa amazing. Riskel. Yep. She's so fantastic. Uh, so there's, there's basically many reasons to leave this room right now. Yeah. Um, give me a little bio of uh, where you're located, how people can find you, what you do, that sort of thing. We have plenty of listeners on the East Coast area, so yeah. Uh, so I live in Rhode Island, um, travel around the country, and you can find me at omegan.com on twitter it's hi omegan and i'm um, not hi ho megan um which a lot of people actually miss hi oh <laughs> right um and then on facebook and tumblr um so tumblr is hi omegan also and there you can get fun pictures and different medias different uses yeah, yeah. sweet ah oh, sex nerds <laughs> this has been the best weekend ever thank you thank you <laughs> Hello, sex nerds. Uh, so, oh my god, I always start off the conference ones with this really weird, like, so after I say sex nerd. Um, I'm in conference land, guys. So, hello, I'm at the ASECT uh, 2012 conference at Austin, and I am highly sleep deprived. And we have suffered lots of wonderful sex nerd knowledge uh, for the last two days, at least. And uh, I'm not gonna lie to you. Every time I do these recordings in these hotel rooms, I am mildly um, just like hallucinating because I'm so tired. So, but that also makes us kind of goofy. Uh, so, <laughs> Tracy, a physical therapist. Wait, it's Tracy, right? It is. Tracy. <laughs> okay. I'm all like, wait a minute. Because there's so many business cards and then like there's a lot of networking going on in this conference. So, I'm here with Tracy who's a physical therapist. Uh who specializes in pelvic stuff. And as, as you guys know, uh, I am obsessed with anatomy right now. And all things, well, it's genitals. Come on, we're, we're kind of obsessed with genitals, but that's human nature. So what are you going to say? Um, so to start things off, welcome, Tracy. Thank you. I'm also sleep deprived, but happy. Oh my God, you have had a smile on your face this entire conference. You've been awesome to see you around, talking to people and everything. Like, you win the award for coolest ASEC person, like, running around. Well, thank you. I'm having a blast. This is a totally different conference for me, and I'm loving it. That's right. This is your first sex-focused conference, right? You're usually physical therapy places? Yes. I do a lot of focus on sex in terms of um, sexuality and bowel and bladder dysfunction, mm-hmm. but it's usually in a package. This is the first time that it's, it's really focused more on sexuality, which has been really wonderful. Oh, okay. So this is where you don't have to worry about all the other stuff and you can just be sexy. Well, think sexy. I can be sexy. I can be sexy too. Oh, she's kind of, she's pretty sexy, guys. She's pretty sexy. Um, so... Uh, everybody, if you guys have listened to previous, uh, episodes the last couple months, I did talk about trigger points and I had heard a physical therapist talk at the quad S conference in LA a few months ago. And I realized that, I mean, it was just the, the tip of the iceberg in terms of pelvic knowledge. And so I would definitely want to talk about that. But first, 
people think of physical therapists, they think, oh, someone's in a car accident or something, and then you got to like help them move their arms again or like you know massage their muscles. So, can you just tell me how did you get into this field and just briefly where you practice and just kind of that whole like who you be that kind of thing? Sure, absolutely. So most of us that get into physical therapy start doing something in undergrad, more of like a psychology or a, a pre med track, which is what I did. I did neuropsychology and then pre med. And then I went and got my master's in physical therapy. And when I was getting my master's, I had absolutely no idea I was going to do anything in the realm of pelvic that would have anything to do with sexuality whatsoever. I think you, I, didn't you say something about you saw a film about like putting your finger up someone's butt or something and you said something to somebody in your class about it? Yes. Um, so prior to seeing this movie, I was under, well, and also during this movie, but I was under the impression that um, I was going to do something in neurology or possibly sports medicine orthopedics. So I'm watching this film in, um, during my master's program in which they were showing a basically going inside with a finger rectally doing what's called a coccyx mobilization, which is basically a fancy way of saying a tailbone, um, moving the tailbone, getting it to, into a better position. And I remember I tapped my friend and I said, mark my words, I will never, ever, ever, ever be doing anything that looks remotely like that. And now if you fast forward for about the past 12 years, I've done that technique and, of course, many others. But um, that's, that's the realm I ended up in. Never say never, never. Tracy. Hilarious. So how did that happen? Because I didn't even know. Okay, I haven't, because I've been in the field of sexuality for a while now. And I knew sexological body workers exist, which are more like massage therapists who went beyond their training. But I didn't know that physical therapists were doing internal work, which, um, so yeah, how did that happen? Yeah, so um, I'll tell you a little bit about my path and then how it ended up turning into more of a career that I didn't even realize. Um, so I had an opportunity to work in different clinicals. So as in our schooling, we do different clinicals. And I had an opportunity to work. Um, so I did an orthopedic clinical, and then I went to what was called an orthopedic and women's health clinical. Mm-hmm. And what I didn't realize is the first day I got there, and my instructor said, go ahead and put some gloves on. You're going to go ahead and do a vaginal exam. basically a pelvic musculoskeletal exam. And I had no idea. I thought women's health meant I was just helping women dealing with maybe some, you know, strength issues or hormonal issues. I had no idea the extent of it. So you were tricked. So I was, yeah, essentially I was tricked. (laughs) So, um, so I arrived first day, first patient glove on, and I was welcomed into the world of a vaginal musculoskeletal exam. Um, this patient was actually a physician, so she didn't mind. She thought it would be good, a learn, good learning experience for me. So um, as it turns out, it ended up being the most valuable clinical because all these patients that I saw one by one were saying that they had been missed. Their diagnoses had been missed. They were probably, we're talking most patients that we see end up seeing an average of seven to ten physicians before we get to them. And they say that they were either told that they were just crazy because say you have a woman with severe pelvic pain or a man with severe pain and he keeps being told he has prostatitis, but he may actually have some other kind of problem going on. And just briefly, what is prostatitis? Um, Basically, it's an inflammation that's some sort of infection around the prostate gland. And what will happen is if someone has pain in the prostate area, um, usually the physicians will say it is prostatitis and treat it that way. The problem is if the male is not getting better after they have this um, treatment, 
a lot of times they say, well, we don't know what else to do for you. It just didn't get better. And treatment is medicine and sometimes isn't like weekly doctor's visits for the doctor to do painful prostate massage? Um, not You don't necessarily have to do the prostate massage. They usually just start out with um, with meds, some sort of anti-inflammatories or steroids or different things that they use. Um, but yes, that is another thing sometimes they will do. Some physicians will actually do a prostate massage. Um, I don't, I can't speak very much on that because I don't do that. That's not part of our practice. Okay. No, I just, I've met guys who have said like, oh my God, every week it hurts, you know, because it's not a pleasure type focused one. So I'm like, oh man. So things get misdiagnosed and then you're learning, but you're realizing this is a huge issue. Yes. I realized every patient um, was going through and essentially my clinical instructor was sick. So she left and I was left with all these patients who basically were telling me story after story about how they were told they were either crazy or they should just relax. What's their problem? Or why don't you just drink alcohol and your muscles, everything down there will just relax and take care of itself. So I'm so upset right now. I know. It's it's, it's just mad. (laughs) I think that's really. And so here I am literally I'm I'm inside vaginally, let's just say on a muscle called the obturator internus. Oh, my God. Talk dirty. Uh, Sorry. I get really, I'm like, oh, yeah, tell me more. So if you go in internally and you go towards the lateral, the side walls, female on her back, fingers in toward, uh, and you're going laterally where? You can usually find it at, it's usually about 10 o'clock, let's just say, um, on a clock. If you were to go in, if the top pubic bone is 12 o'clock and 6 o'clock is down towards the anal area. Okay. But we're still vaginally. So if you go if you go about ten o'clock, you can actually get to what's called the obturator internus. And it's against the wall side wall. And you can actually test for it. It's actually a hip rotator muscle. So you can actually have them move their hip and you'll feel it move inside. Oh my god, guys, laboratory fun. <laughs> okay, and be careful what you tell us because seriously, like I love actually if you know oh my god. Now it's a whole story you're telling, but now okay, we have to this is really exciting. Uh, ways to be able to help movements. Because I'm all about trying to identify things internally. I'm just like poking around like, what is that? You know, what is all this? Like what I can move to help identify muscles. Yeah. So, so I'll jump ahead and say that once I really realized this was a, a true specialty, I actually specialized in this and, and went into a clinic in Houston. That Actually, that's all they did was women's health and pelvic floor issues. So then there's actually courses you can take. So for a physical therapist, in order for them to be able to do this, and I'll come back around to the laboratory part, in order for a physical therapist to do this, they have to go through a series of classes. So there's what's called PF1, PF2, PF3. It's basically a pelvic floor series. And then there's other courses you can take in order to really be able to do this. It's under training of women's, and they called it women's health? Um, it's actually, at this point, pelvic rehab. There, there's two tracks you can do. There are There's something through what's called the um, American Physical Therapy Association, and they have a track that's more women's health-based pelvic floor. And then I'm actually a faculty member for another group called Herman and Wallace Pelvic Rehab Institute. And same thing, we do pelvic courses. Instead of calling it women's health, we do a lot of pelvic um, rehab courses. And then we do have specialty tracks in women's health and men's courses specifically. So this is where the the nerd stuff um, continues. Is that So what we do in these classes, believe it or not, I don't even know that you know this, but we actually, um, everything we do in these classes, we practice on each other. So if I am, we are going and talking about vaginal uh, anatomy, we actually get a partner and the, those in the class have to actually practice on each other. If we're doing anal uh, 
colorectal type of anatomy, we're actually doing the same thing. We're actually going in and practicing on each other. Oh my God, I so want to, okay, I may even edit this out, but like I so want to just like get some gloves on and have you just like show me things and be like, no, really, this is that thing. Like this is the thing. I thought the other thing was the thing. I know. So what we do is we do mapping. Sometimes we actually, we go through and we actually map out and we teach everyone exactly where they should be finding structures. So you would know that, like I said, about 10 o'clock and it's, it, the, the obturator internus is pretty big, but at 10 o'clock is where you would find that and you can trace it down. There's actually something that separates it. There's something called the arcus tendineus levator ani, and that's actually a tendinous uh, structure that runs pretty much right underneath the obturator internus, and then it connects with some other muscles deeper down. Underneath, do you mean if my finger's in vaginally, it's deeper, or do you mean that it's in, in between my finger and the first So if you, if you picture you're going, so I have to almost use my hands here to figure this out. So if you're going um, against the sidewall, of the vagina towards that obturator internus and you feel it, you can actually get hip movement and feel it. Then you would slide your finger down um, and then you'll feel... Or the tailbone. Yes. And if you slide it down towards your tailbone, you'll actually get feel a little ridge and that's that arcus tendineus levator ani. So what we do is we actually do mapping, almost like a guided imagery, where at some point during these classes we say, okay, we're going to take you through, go ahead and slide in at 6 o'clock, you're going to feel, and then you're going to go to either, let's say... Um, I'll say five o'clock and seven o'clock, and that's going to be more of your levator ani, or we call it the pubococcygeus or pubovisceral. Again, for the nerds out there, and um, it's if you have the person contract, that's what we when we think about Kegels, we talk about Kegels or pelvic floor exercises. That's what that is. It's the pelvic floor muscles, what we talk about, but there's many more muscles in there. Those are just the ones we identify with most. But that's when you can get really interesting and you can slide up and get to um, the obturator internus, that arcus tendineus levator ani. Oh my God, you know then, Latin? Oh my God, oh that's my so romantic. I know. And then you can go even further back and then you're on what's called the iliococcygeus. And that's um, the arcus tendineus levator ani is what separates the iliococcygeus and the obturator internus. So. I know. I'm talking very sexy. No, it's like, like at some point, like about three Latin words ago, I got a little lost because then I start thinking like lower, higher. Are we talking anterior, posterior? Or, and then I get lost in those words. I'm like, you know, are we toward a thigh? Are we? But it's hot. It is. And and I think the thing that's interesting is because it's, you know, it's a real structure, it's 3D that you're, when you go in, there is a way to kind of map it to say, okay, we're going to go first superficial and we'll be more on the first layer is called the bulbocavernosis. That's one form of it. Oh my God, the bulbocavernosis. We have to talk about the bulbo. The bulbo. Oh my God. Because I just read that that one is the one. Sorry, I keep interrupting you. No, that's But I'm all like, ah, Um, that one is supposed to be, from what I read recently, um, the orgasm muscle. I mean, there's lots of orgasm muscles, but that one actually is the one that like randomly contracts when you're turned on and and rhythmically contracts when you're orgasming. The I have to say, I think the bulbocavernosis is very underrated. Um, sometimes when people have pelvic pain or issues, we actually treat the bulbocavernosis. A lot of times, if someone has pain or burning around their vulvar area, it's actually it can be from the bulbocavernosis. Also, when you have contractions, the levator ani are the big muscle movers there, and that's what you think about for orgasm. But also, yes, the, the superficial muscles at the bulbocavernosis definitely um, have a contractile quality as well during that time. Do all of the pelvic muscles contract during orgasms? Or- orgasm? Um, there's, there's a general, yes, there's kind of like a wave of contractions throughout the pelvic floor. 
And so I don't know. I don't know if it's been isolated to see. There are tests that you can do to see which ones are contracting. But we primarily think about the big movers like the levator ani group. But, yes, there's a full rhythmic contraction in the pelvic floor. Interesting. And the pelvic floor, I think of that as like the hammock of muscle that just permeates from my tailbone, just anal area, vaginal area. Does it go higher than that or is it just that whole hammock? Um, Well, it's interesting because – there's a whole debate about what you consider pelvic floor versus core muscles. So, yes, when we talk about in our world, when we talk about pelvic floor, we're talking about, um, yes, the general, the idea that you've got this this sling or this underneath from tailbone to um, pubic bone. Okay, it's kind of basically that whole support system. However, like I was saying, you have the obturator internus on the sides. So if you're building a house, you've got this, this p- bottom part, and then you've got the sides, or the sidewalls are more like the obturator internus. And then if you're talking about a full core muscles that make up, the f- that contribute, pelvic floor being one of that, then you've got higher muscles, um, areas like the diaphragm. In the back, there's what's called the multifidus, multifidi muscles. And then, of course, you've got what's called the transversus abdominis. Of course. So it's, it's all... And that's in the front. So you've got this girdle muscle that makes up the core, but the pelvic floor is that piece underneath it. It's like the bottom foundation piece and then a little bit of the sidewalls. Okay. So you just sort of mapped out the pelvic floor. And I'm sure, you know, somebody is going to be like playing that section over and over to just make sure they could Google all that. Um, but it's, there's a lot yes. to know. You had mentioned a cocktail hour. <laughs> like on Thursday when this whole crazy thing happened that you teach gynecologists sometimes and that you had been like, you guys probably already know this. And they had actually said, no, we don't know any of the musculature. Yeah. So what happens is, as you know, when any, any field of medicine, I think what happens is people get specialized. So you'll see a neurologist. They just, they forget a lot of other things that they learned in medical school and they do more neurology. So you see an OB, they deliver a lot of babies. That's their primary thing. And they forget maybe about neurology. It's the same thing, even as specific as muscles. So I am a specialist. My job is I'm not doing pelvic exams to look at necessarily ovaries per se. I'm looking at it from a musculoskeletal standpoint. So my focus, I can map out, like we were just saying, I know every single muscle in that entire area and where, where it comes from and where it inserts, and I can tell you everything to do with the musculoskeletal system. So when we talk, I do these talks for these OBGYNs, they'll bring me in to talk, and what will happen is they're, they're so focused on organ-based and deliveries, let's say, or gynecological conditions that they have forgotten, they at some point down, at, at some point had learned the pelvic floor musculature, but it's not something that they focus on every day. So basically, That's they like a they, problem. I know they they <laughs> love the review, and then I'm, there's absolutely physicians out there that do know the muscles and certain ligaments and tendons because some of the repairs they do for surgeries they have to attach tapes and things to those tendons. So they they they're familiar with some of the those anatomies that they use for surgeries. But like I said, if you don't use it and and you're not aware, they'll just refer like for example, the levator ani muscles. They'll just say levator ani. But within that there's different sections of it. You've got um, uh, puborectalis, pubococcygeus, iliococcygeus. So there's different muscles that make up the pelvic floor and they just start they just call it all levator ani when there's very there's many different muscles within that. So is it pronounced pubococcygeus? Yes, pubococcygeus. Okay, because that was a that's one of my favorite because it's like the one that I've remembered because it, it's like the PC muscle, right? So that's like the the Kegel reference muscle, but 
It's pubo. See, now we know it's pubococcygeus. You heard it here. Pubo. Ah, knowledge. Thank you. Is it, I still go, we go back and forth clitoris, clitoris. I'm more clitoris. I don't know. Do you, how do you? Yeah, I'm more clitoris. Yeah. Yeah. Clitoris rhymes with Dolores. Right. Isn't that, that was a Seinfeld, I think. Possibly. I don't know. I, I grew up not being allowed to watch much TV. Oh. A lot of PBS. Okay. There, there is a, there's definitely a Seinfeld reference in there and I'm sure some people are chuckling right now about that. Awesome. Yeah. I only, yeah, I, I learned those things from my friends. Um, oh my God, that was a lot of things. Um, so, oh, I want to talk about male bodies, but I also, I'm curious because someone comes to you, they've been to their gyne- like, you know, 20 gynecologists. They're usually, is it because of pain? Um, there's, there's different disorders, but <clears throat> typically what we find is that there's either an underactive issue or an overactive issue. Um, the physicians are very well versed in, in the medical community on underactive. So someone that's had a, chi- a child and is having weak pelvic floor musculature, they, they are, they're weak in their pelvic floor. So they identify that they have them try to squeeze and they don't have a lot of squeeze. So they say they, and they're having urinary leakage. So that's more of the underactive class. What we also treat is the overactive class where the muscles are, are tight or shortened. They don't have to, they can just be tight but they don't have to be shortened. But essentially, those, that pelvic floor disorder um, is more along the lines of something that's overactive pelvic floor or shortened pelvic floor. So that's what leads to more of the pain syndromes. So it's holding a lot of tension. Exactly. So you can hold a lot of tension there. And we assume that you could tell someone all day long, hey, just relax. You know, come on, just relax your pelvic floor. Come on. But what happens is it gets to a shortened state where you actually need facilitation. That's where we come in, where we can actually manually go in internally, um, vaginally or rectally, if it's male or female, we can do either one and actually work on, we actually pull and cue them to so they know what that, where it should be. And there's techniques and strategies we can do to get that to relax. It doesn't just automatically happen. All right. I want to go into two things. And I know we don't have a whole lot of time because there's partying to be done. That's right, guys. It's not all serious. Sometimes it's fun and games. Um, but there's... Um, because we talked about trigger points already, which are um, like muscle knots, generally tension held in the vaginal area or genital male genital area. But I'm curious about like post-ejaculatory pain or other male issues like prostate stuff. But then I also want to talk about like orga- muscle tension as a, as a path to helping orgasm, if you know anything about that. Those are two things I want to talk about. But just wait... Those are two things I want to talk about, so let's get into it. What – first, okay, first, the orgasm muscles that you clench and whatnot. What are those called? Because I call them the PCs, the pubococcygeus. Pubococcygeus. Uh-huh. Pubococcygeus. Uh-huh. Oh, such a – but um, what is that whole, like, orgasm network? What do you call that? That's, that's what we would say. Um, it, it's, it's the pel- we just say tightening of the pelvic floor or pubococcygeus or levator ani. So they're kind of used interchangeably. Okay, so you're not going to judge me if I'm like PC when it's m- more than that. No, this is a judge-free pelvic floor zone here. Oh my god, guys, team fun and safe space. I love it. Um, short question: What do you? Okay, you are manipulating internally, vaginally, and anally. Mm-hmm. Now, a gynecologist is just like, all right, here comes the speculum. But is there a deeper conversation or more thorough conversation around the fact that you're touch- touching them and it might be interpreted sexually or like like a, like a professional distancing conversation about what you're about to do to them? 
Yeah, as part of the education that we give to anyone that's going to the pelvic floor, what we do is we we explain to them that you it's very much focused on making sure you're getting a good history on the patient and making sure they feel comfortable with the process. So there, there's a few things we put in place. One is we always tell them up front, we have this option of doing a pelvic floor musculoskeletal exam, which can be external, and we also would like to do internal. However, you are not required to do it, nor is it something that you have to do the, you know, the first visit. We can even wait so you're comfortable with it. So we do a lot of that dialogue first. Uh, most patients say once we finally do that internal, they say, oh, wow, that wasn't nearly as bad because we're not actually using a speculum and we don't use stirrups for most of our practices. It's much more about, it's more of a casual environment, very relaxed, and we're trying to get them to relax their muscles and not have that response. I think anyone that goes in, in stirrups and has uh, a speculum put inside is definitely not relaxed. But stirrups totally increase the muscular tension. There is something with stirrups that just makes me more stressed out. Yeah, and then, and then there's a joke that they get them from, you know, Antarctica or something because they're freezing <laughs> to begin with. So just the whole setting is different than we have. In, in fact, where I work, it's a lot. It's more of like a medical spa environment where you're going to this nice, tranquil setting, and it's just it's nice. So we really the emphasis is not on I need to go in vaginally or rectally and just get in there. It's much more about let's take a history, let's see where you are, let's talk about it. We may do some things externally and just do some assessments that way. If you feel comfortable, let's go ahead and do the whole exam. You'll, you'll see the whole spectrum. Um, the other thing we also focus on is if someone's had sexual abuse or trauma, we say, if you'd like to tell us about that, that would be helpful. And we also recognize that some people have had that. So I want to basically respect that. So we don't just, um, you know, we try to be respectful of that as well. And they may need more time if they have had issues like that. And, and many of our patients um, have said that they really felt like it was a safe place, that they could explain those things. And it's really – that's where you have to get training and know that you're – not everyone would like to do this type of field. I mean you have to really do, use yeah. a lot of psychology and, and just um, have to have that rapport and understand how to do that with patients. I feel like that's the kind of communication training that I wish gynecologists, proctologists, and urologists would um, know because, yeah – I had a really bad experience with contraception recently that was like terrible bedside manner and just like no communication around something that was really intense and like no, I'll, I'm going to go off on this in another episode. Um, so I'll save that horrifying experience for another time. Hey guys. Um, okay. So man bodies you're in. Tell me, I mean, we talk about female bodies so often, but Tell me about guys. What do you experience? What what are the, the what's the dealio? Okay, so men, the we primarily see men same exact thing in terms of it can be an overactive issue or an underactive issue. An underactive issue would be, for example, a male that's had either colorectal cancer or prostate cancer or prostate issues, and they ended up needing, let's say, a prostatectomy or um, some form of colon surgery. And prostatectomy, is that a partial removal? Yeah, um, usually it's to remove as much of the the prostate as possible so that the cancer is gone. Um, they do sometimes what's called nerve sparing or other things to spare something if they don't need to take all of it away. But but the deal is basically they're trying to get the cancerous growth out of there from the prostate. So they usually, there's different techniques you can use. And there's sometimes they try to do other things before they go to surgery. But um, once they do that, what happens a lot of times is those pelvic floor muscles and that whole structure are in that area are affected, whatever's in that area. So if that's the case, they have more of an underactive issue where they need more strengthening. Mm -hmm. um, and I could go into a whole tangent on different ways to strengthen 
that there's some ways that are that are much better than others and a lot of times they are told to do kegel exercises 600 times a day standing up which is completely wrong for someone that has really weak muscles so that's a tangent wait okay but that's like a really important tangent i mean this could be like the crux of everything um because i have heard that you if you do like tons of kegel exercises a day you can like over aggravate and like pull a muscle basically you know which is after on your genitals that's not okay so what i mean also in terms of like tantric uh, multi-orgasmic male possibilities they say strengthen your pc muscles so sexual functioning wise this can not just return someone to normal but maybe make them you know superman um so could you talk on that a little bit yeah so so what happens is say you've had a surgery like this or some sort of injury in which the muscles have been affected and they can't contract okay so let's just say at baseline you can't fully contract those muscles. So if I said, hey, I'm going to tell you what to do, you're, and, I, and I'm coming from a wrong angle, and I say, you're going to do 600 of them a day, you're going to stand up, and you're just going to squeeze really hard. It's like squeezing your butt muscles like you're holding something in. So, well, what happens is you, they, over, they overuse the wrong muscles, so they start using bottom muscles. They'll start doing what we call butt clenching a lot, so they'll, they'll do the clenching. They'll use all sorts of other muscles, abdominal muscles, but they never really strengthen the pelvic floor. So we have a grading system we use, okay? We go zero through five. Someone has to at least have a three out of five before they can actually sit up to do them. So actually, a lot of times we start men with this issue lying down so that they can gain a basic strength, and they only need to do about 30 to 60 a day, usually about 30 a day, and then that's actually more um, productive, and then they can move to stand, sitting and standing but we never have them do standing 600 a day. It's just overkill. It can actually, like you said, it can over fatigue the muscles. You could actually end up getting spasm from it or you're using the, the wrong muscles and you're not even gaining that strength. So lots of issues. That's one of the biggest things we deal with is correcting that muscle dysfunction and helping in the right positions and the right frequency. So, so there's that issue. So there's the underactive issue. And then, yes, you can have the overactive issue. Wait a minute. We didn't go. Uh, wait, we didn't identify how a male would identify the proper muscle group. So, I mean, but also just really quickly because oh my god, there's so much. There's so much. Yeah. So um, the gold standard, whether it's vaginal or rectal, but we're talking about men now and rectal, is that um, you really need to go in. We go in rectally with a finger, and it's again sounds much worse than it is. We're very kind. And you sound like you'd be really gentle if you were trying to finger someone anally medically, like, like not like the bad memories. Correct. And the other thing that we do is sometimes differently than what I've heard horror stories is that I don't have someone bending over a table. It's much you're on your side and you're lying down. We respect as much as we can everything about you. And then we do we put the finger inside and we have you try to squeeze and isolate those muscles. What you'll find is someone will get Sam squeezing. Can you tell? And nothing's happening there. Or they're squeezing, but they're, they think they're having a full squeeze and they're only able to squeeze for a second. So we're also looking at endurance. Someone will say, it's so weird. I have problems in that area um, with my pelvic floor. I'm, I'm leaking a lot. And so they say, but I know how to contract my muscle, but they'll only be able to squeeze and hold for one to two seconds. They really should be able to squeeze and contract and hold for up to 10 seconds. Wow. So we do a grading system on strength and we do a grading system on endurance. And we also sometimes put them on to what's called biofeedback, pelvic floor biofeedback, either with a rectal probe or external sensors. I talked about that, yeah. Yeah, and that's to pick up, again, um, pelvic floor strength. But really still the gold standard is finger so we can, we can assess. And we can even do it by sides 
as well. But we're not talking about the internal and external sphincters because that's button clenching. So I don't even imagine what muscles are up. Because like, if your finger's in the anal canal and up near the prostate, so like three inches or so in, mm-hmm. she's nodding. I mean, I don't imagine that my finger would be squeezed by muscles that deep in because it's more just chilling up there. But that's my layman's Im- image of things. So what are you feeling for up near the prostate? Yeah, you don't need to go even that far. So if you just put your, if you're putting your finger in, um, the internal and external sphincter basically run together. So you, if you're right at the rim, basically right at the opening of the um, anal opening, you're actually getting some of the external sphincter. The external sphincter is actually voluntary, so you can actually tighten it's voluntary. The internal sphincter. You guys listen to the Booty Basics episode. I totally go into that stuff. It's going to be fun. So the internal sphincter is not voluntary. That That's not in your control. So right at the beginning, you're going to get the external sphincter. Then if you just go in, we usually say about kind of like mid, um, the the knuckle, the first knuckle in. Um, you can't go as far as the second, but you really only need to go about first knuckle in. And you basically hook your finger around. So you're going to kind of hook your finger down, usually again, 3 o'clock and 9 o'clock actually for, um, especially at the rectal area. So, um, and you have to kind of orient yourself that um, going towards your tailbone is 12 o'clock. Okay, so is, that make sense? if belly button and tailbone were north and south, you'd be going east and west. Yes, absolutely. So you'd go, you're going to orient yourself exactly east and west. And so three and nine, and you're going to just hook on there and then you have them contract. And then, you know, you're on more of that levator ani group and that's puborectalis. So you need to feel tension when you squeeze just past the inner sphincter hooked to the left and right, east and west. This is really specific. Yes. And that's what, that's why I love what I do. And that's why we really see value in what we do. And the patients do too, because they say I've gone for years with these issues and you're the first person to really address this in such a specific way. So, and there's so much to it. You know, it's not just the strengthening. It's sometimes the opposite like we talked about. So it's very complex and, and fascinating. Okay, so that was actually in itself incredibly valuable, talking about that. Like, that's interesting. Like, I would have not known that. And ideally, I like it when I can, like, relax all my muscles and just really isolate those muscles. You're nodding. Like, that sounds like like you shouldn't be clenching your abs to just, you shouldn't be clenching everything, really isolating those muscles. Yeah, so in an ideal situation, you want to be able to just use your pelvic floor. Now, we have cases, and again, this is why it's so complex. If someone has such weak musculature there where they cannot access you you try to get them to squeeze and they either don't know how or they can't get a squeeze at all then we do what's called on purpose accessory muscle um overload or something where we're actually pulling in different muscles so we may purposely tell them to squeeze their abdominals or squeeze their glutes and do that a little bit more butt clenching which is very different than a pelvic floor contraction that sometimes stimulates the pelvic floor those muscles there the puborectalis to tighten up but ultimately, the patient needs to be able to learn to just use and isolate those muscles. Um, once they know how to do both that as well as the other muscles, you can put it all together. So it's kind of like there's, there's different stages to strengthening. Okay. So that's that. I mean, that in itself, I mean, that's key because uh, lots of people practice these exercises to become like superheroes in the bedroom, basically. And we may be doing it completely wrong. Um, so if they're holding too much tension, like one ex-partner I had who was all like, you know, not happy after ejaculation when I realized, oh, it's because they had so much muscle tension in their back and their butt everywhere. Um, so 
yeah, mainly I realize that this is a whole conversation, but it can manifest itself in pain after ejaculation. Any other ways that it manifests itself? Yeah. So, um, and just to point out, I want to make sure you know that anytime someone has pain with ejaculation or some sort of problem where um, they think they may have muscle tightness, we always still recommend they see their physician first, whoever it is. It could be a urologist, internal medicine doctor, a colorectal, whoever they feel most comfortable going to. They need to clear out and make sure it isn't an infection because that can't, there are causes. There can be lots of infections that can cause that pain. There's um, a variety of other medical diagnoses that have to be ruled out first. But once it's pretty much clear that they don't have any sort of infection or other medical issue, then that's when it's a really good chance that it is musculoskeletal. In terms of these actual pelvic floor spasms or tightness in men, what we usually typically will see is someone will have, um, like you said, maybe pain with ejaculation, or they'll just have a testicular pain. They'll just walk around with pain in their testicles. They just don't, it just doesn't feel good. Mm-hmm. A sense of heaviness. They may describe it as having a golf ball type of thing feeling in their rectum. That's a very common thing we hear. I feel like I'm walking around with a golf ball in my rectum. Does the testicle being pulled up into the body, is that also a symptom or is that a totally other thing? Yeah, that's totally separate. This is more like they get that feeling because the muscles are in such bad spasm, it gives them the feeling. Like they would swear something's there and it's not usually. Um, The other thing you'll see is um, someone that's a cyclist or that does heavy, there's certain kinds of exercise and things that they do a lot of heavy squatting and things. Sometimes they can actually get either inflammation around the pudendal nerve there or actually um, so much um, trauma or uh, if you're constantly on a a bicycle seat, you're getting... That's like serious pressure, dudes. Yeah. So one of the things, if you're having problems where you get numbness in that area when you're cycling or you start to feel like you can't sit because you have pain there, that's a good chance that you're getting irritation to that pudendal nerve and you don't want to end up with trauma or scarring in that area. So definitely consult with either a public physical therapist um, or stop cycling and and essentially um, back away from it because you can do some damage with that. Doesn't mean all men will have that. It won't happen to everyone, but it is something that we see that happens in cyclists where they have that problem sometimes. What about erectile dysfunction in terms of not being able to keep an erection? Is that ever related to any of these things that you work with? Um, yes. Yeah, so we don't we don't usually advertise, nor do we say we treat erectile dysfunction per se. But what happens is, like I was saying before, if someone has a prostatectomy or some sort of surgery there in that area. Um, Everything can get either inflamed or actually some damage can happen either to the muscles or um, somewhere around the nerves. So what happens is we found that there is a correlation. If you can get the muscles stronger there, it actually will help with the erection. So what I always tell my male patients is I'm treating you for urinary leakage or, or a pain syndrome, whatever it is. But if we can get those muscles to function, and typically when we talk about function, regardless of it's vaginal or rectal, it's contracting properly, relaxing properly, and then actually bulging out properly. So if they can do those three things and really have a good contraction, they'll actually um, it'll it should really help that uh, erection as well. So interesting that you mentioned that because um, I only in the, like the re, in the past year I learned that it's not just the tightening and the relaxing; it's the pushing out, and you call it bulging. It's the first time I've heard it called that, but just like the ability to bulge, push out versus pulling in. 
Um, yeah, so we so what happens is a lot of times people say now we're getting into a whole other disorder with pelvic floor, which is so someone has constipation and what's called an outlet dysfunction. So everything should be working perfectly. They go to sit down in the toilet and they say it well, it just won't come out and I have to strain. What can happen in that case is that you actually are not having the proper timing of your pelvic floor. And when you should be letting go and bulging, you're actually a lot of times doing um, like almost holding your breath and creating a contraction. And so you, you think you're bulging and you're actually doing the exact opposite. So you're basically – there's an obstruction. So we do a lot of timing and encouraging the muscles to properly contract, relax, and then teaching them how to bulge out a little bit without holding their breath or, or turning red. Okay, so we need to wrap it up. Um, that was a whole lot of – wow, guys. Bodies, right? Why isn't there a manual? Oh, wait, there's a lot of manuals. Um, but not the right kind of manuals, okay. it feels like. Um, you should write. Well, I'm all like, you? I'm like pointing at her face. You should write a book. Um, I'd love to. Awesome. Um, to finish it off, I have a question. And you just have to like say yes or no or maybe. But I've talked about how muscle tension, like if you just, like if I just lie down on the bed, and relax everything and have someone like manually stimulate me, I may only be able to get so far. But if I like start pumping the genital muscles and tightening, it seems to increase chances of orgasm for a lot of people. I mean, I say myself just because, hey, I'm a human and I've got stuff that other people have. Um, why does that increase the chances of orgasm? Do you know how that, if that like stimulates the pudendal and pelvic nerves? Like, how is that related? You've got your thinking face on. It's okay. We don't need to have all the answers all the time. But what are your thoughts? Well, the thing that's important with orgasm and why some, some women cannot have it um, or have difficulties with it is that you have to have a normal functioning pelvic floor in order for that to happen. So like I was saying earlier, I really want someone to have the ability to con- fully contract, fully relax, and fully bulge. If someone's already tight and... They can't, they're not going to have as much of an opportunity to have an orgasm because if their muscles are already in a shortened state and they're tight, you don't have that contractile fluidity, I guess, where you don't, where you can't contract and then relax. It's just staying tight. So if you could actually get it to relax properly and then try to actually get a really nice contraction right before an orgasm, you're actually going to have more of a chance of tapping into that whole flow of the muscle contraction moving at the same time you've got more blood flow and then you've got the nerves kicking in and and creating that um that feeling so that's why a lot there's a lot of problems with orgasm because if your muscles are not functioning correctly you're not you're basically not tapping into that whole process okay it's really validating to hear you say that and i don't know if i was talking out loud on an episodes or if this was with a colleague but there was this like you know, it's, I don't know, it's, what is that, what is a visual of, like, a drum, like, you think of, like, the skin on a drum, if it were, like, being blown outward and being sucked inward, you know, and if you can create that, like, you have to have full range of muscle to totally relaxed and pushed out to tightness. Um, so, what we explain to patients a lot is the elevator. So, basically, you're, let's just say you're starting at ground floor. We're going to have you contract and go up, let's just say, and we sometimes grade it, we'll say, Go And you can even try this. You can think about it, try it, sitting down. You're going to tighten up, squeeze, and go to uh, level one. Then try level two, then level three, and then drop it down back to ground floor. Okay, so you may repeat that. 
then you're actually going to try the opposite, which is we're going to try to go down to the basement now. So you're actually pushing down a little bit and making it go down towards the basement. And then you're going to come back up to ground and then try again to nice squeeze. Guys, do it with us. All right. Go through the floors. Use your inner elevator. (laughs) So inner elevator, you can do it one of two ways. You can either just do what I did, which is basically start at ground level. And we're going to go level one, level two. Yes, we're both doing it right now. Level three, Ah. level four. Go down to ground. And then we're going to actually go down to the basement. So push down a little bit without holding your breath. Oh, we got to get breathe. And then back up again. Okay. Okay? Or you can just, we're going to go one more time, another option. Go ahead and just tighten up, squeeze, going all the way up to five. Oh, my God. Is this like the fantasy? And then relax. And then you're going to bulge down against the basement, which is a wonderful place. The basement's a really good place. They got snacks down there. You know, what's interesting is when you say return to the like level one, I immediately clench. Oh. So I need to work on relax, bulging out and relaxing more so that I can return to a relaxed state fully. Uh, Tracy, thank you so much. Uh, tell me, like, uh, is there anything you want to promote, like where you are, how people can get in touch with you, um, if they can email you or if you have Twitter, and resources to find pelvic therapists in their area? Sure. Um, So I am manager of a program for Florida Hospital um, in Orlando, and it's called the Pelvic Health Rehabilitation Program. And so that's one way um, that you can find me or or resources there. Um, I also run something called pelvicguru.com, which actually has a lot of resources on all these things I've been talking about. We're doing articles and, and getting guest bloggers as well to discuss these kinds of issues related to the pelvic area, so bowel, bladder, and sexual function. Uh, and then I also teach for a company called Herman and Wallace Pelvic Rehab Institute, and it's CEU education around the country, and it's really good information. You can go to the website there. Um, you can also um, access something called American Physical Therapy Association. If you go to something called Section on Women's Health, there's a whole list of providers of what I do, women's health physical therapists who also can treat men who are accessible, their names are accessible. And then on that Herman and Wallace site, there's also a list of providers. So those are the two sites I'd recommend if you're going to look for providers across the entire U.S. And now we're also getting some um, names on lists from all over the world. All right, guys. Um, I'll include the links on the Nerdist posting, so um, so it'll be there forever and stuff. Um, say your full name, because I realize I've been calling you Tracy the whole time. I don't know if we ever actually said your full name. My name is Tracy Sher, um, S-H-E-R, and um, I also realize that we are on Facebook at Pelvic Guru, oh, cool. and Twitter is Pelvic Guru One. Okay, the number one Pelvic Guru, Pelvic Guru Run, um, and I'm Sex Nerd Sandra, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I, I don't know why I sound like I'm tired of myself. Google me. I'm on Twitter and Facebook. Uh, like my page on Facebook. There seems to be a lot of really cool discussion going on there. And um, I do consultation and yada, yada. Oh, my God. I'm so, like, not even into myself right now. I'm so into you and people. I'm like, yeah, whatever. I'm sex nerd Sandra. It's exciting. Guys, this was fun. Okay. We're going to go drink some stuff and then go to sleep and go wake up early. Thank you, Tracy. Very welcome. This was fun. <laughs>
Now leaving Nerdist.com.